0: Football time in Tennessee.
1: Oh, so what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Vols ATB podcast. We got three members of the whole crew, and we're joined by our special guest, Christopher Gabriel, the one, the only CGP. Uh, guys, less than a month away, a month away today until Tennessee football. I'm fired up. First day of fall practice. A lot of energy in the room in the in the stream yard. Technical difficulties on my end. It feels like last <laughs> season. It feels Shaker. great. I know, Drew, Rob, CG. How are we all doing, y'all?
2: Do, doing great out here in California. It's uh, this is the first day that in like nineteen or twenty in a row that it's not been over hundred degrees. Uh, of course, the, the big news out here, even though this is a Mountain West city, is what's going on with conference realignment. I've talked to people inside the Pac-12. Uh, I'm talking to somebody tomorrow at uh, up at Washington. I know we're going to get into some of this, but uh, just all kinds of craziness as to where this all goes. Uh, my, my quick thought is this is what the PAC-12 said that we are all going to be waiting for, going to be an exciting media rights deal. People were confident. And then they come out with something that is based on speculation, incentivization, and streaming. And if anything potentially strikes a death knell, for the Pac-12, at least as we've known it, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm its
1: I,
3: I can't complain one bit, Brando. Um, I mean, as CG mentioned about it, just the news this week, you know, with a lot of, you know, circulation or whatever about potentially Clemson going to the Big Ten, you know, Arizona and Arizona State potentially going to the Big 12. I mean, it's just college football right now is its the craziest I've ever seen it, and we haven't even played a single game yet, so – it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the conference alignment. Um, obviously, we got so much to talk about. With fall practice starting <clears> today, <the> <throat> and as well some recruiting stuff as well. But uh, yeah, overall, dude, I can't complain one bit.
1: Robert,
0: yeah, man, same here. I know it's been a while. So what's up, guys? Good to see y'all. Um, all is good this way though, man. Just been traveling and enjoying life with the family for the summer, man. But uh, you know, football season is about to start, so. I'm, I'm going to be here. This this weekend coming up is my last trip for a while. Going to Puerto Rico for a few days with just the wife without the kids. So nice. that'll be fun, man. That'll be fun. But man, Tennessee we're, we're football five, is back, man. bro. And I, I am like ecstatic, bro. I can't wait. man. <clears> I'm ready for the season to start. <clears throat> I'll be there at game one in Nashville, man. So, hey, let's do it, man. Let's see what the defense looks like.
1: Man, yeah, we're, you know, three out of five at full strength. You got our boy Alex just passed his med exam. Lowe's living it up in Italy right now doing whatever, playing catch up with the Vols basketball team out there. Uh, You know, obviously day one, I was ecstatic to wake up at like 8 a.m. and see the practice notes already out because Josh Heifel and co. have practiced super, super early. But I think my biggest thing so far was seeing all the new names in the fall camp. And just this season, you know, going forward, CG, we got guys like you know very well, Dante Thornton. You got guys on the defensive line, Omar Norman Lott, Gabe Judy Lolly, a lot of guys that are going to try to come in, you know, John Campbell in the offensive line. Where they get that early impact, and then the 2023 class that is now seeing the field for the first time as well. Arian Carter, man.
0: Oh, my God. That dude looks like a million bucks. Yeah,
2: yeah and I, you mentioned uh, the guy that I'm uh, – you mentioned everybody that we're all looking at, but the guy that I'm looking at is a guy that I watched out here a lot last year, and that's Dante Thornton. And w- when I hear a lot of the national media members offering very lazy takes, very lazy <clears throat> arguments um, about what they see for Tennessee this year, what the, it's really what they don't see that stands out to me, and that is arguably the best receiver room in the country. That doesn't mean that the Vols are going to – uh, compete for the national championship, they have the pieces in place. As Rob said, let's see what the defense is. But Dante Thornton, folks, I, I'm going to tell you again, I, I told you this months <clears> ago <throat> when he came into to UT, he is a freak. He's a beast. The guy has got amazing hands. Anything that's in the area code, he's going to catch. He's got great speed. He doesn't have the you know world-class speed but he's got speed, he's elusive, and it's amazing watching him at Oregon last year how many times he'll catch a ball in traffic and suddenly everybody is in his rearview mirror. Expect to see that in orange and white this fall with him.
1: Yeah, I looked, you know, the highlights obviously last year when you know, <clears throat> Oregon went up against Washington, the deep route, the way he's able to get off the line, super explosive with how fast this offense goes. Uh, playing tricks on the defense, and not getting lined up. I, I think that Dante would definitely be a guy that just, can just get a, an advantage off of that alone. Uh, wearing the number 11, obviously, last year, Blindikoff Award winner, Jalen Hyatt. Dante Thornton stepping into that kind of role this year. But he's a guy that can you know, play inside and outside. He pair that with Squirrel White. Um, Tennessee looking to do a lot four wide this year than they did last year with this, where the tight end room depth is. But being able to have, you know, Brew McCoy, or Mel Keaton, and then Squirrel and Dante maybe all on the field at the same exact time. Uh, this would honestly, one, be electric on that side, but also opening up the run game, making this offense just be unstoppable like they have the past two years. So, Drew, who's kind of your biggest takeaway looking at that you got your eyes on going into fall camp?
3: I mean, I think there's like two particular players I would have to mention, and Rob kind of mentioned already one of them already, but Arian Carter and uh, Jeremiah T. Lander. Just from like, just... You know the improvements they made from spring practice and going over now i mean everybody said from you know their biggest takeaways how as rob mentioned it that they looked like a million dollars like they looked apart, the part they played well and i think just hearing like you know finally having like incoming freshmen coming in and being able to make that impact as early as you know the first day of fall practice is huge and when you really think about it, i mean having those two guys and then you know keem peely from byu and aaron beasley Dude, this linebacker room is pretty damn loaded. I mean, it, there's a lot, a lot of talent over there. And I think to, to even imagine that two years ago, what we were working with is like unfathomable, you know? So I'm excited about that. I've heard some great things about, you know, our DB room as well. But uh, back to what CG have said about our wide receiver room, I would I would honestly argue that our <laughs> wide receiver corp is, is going to be even better than last year as far as talent goes and the amount of options that we have too.
1: And, I mean, there's always those guys that slip under the radar, and I don't know if y'all saw the pictures coming out the last two days, but uh, freshman running back Khalifa Keith out of Pike you know, Road, Alabama, that dude is at you know, like 6'1", 230, incoming freshman right now. And then Tyree Weathersby on the defensive side of the line, he met with the media today, and that guy looked like he could go, like, be NFL ready. Bro, he sounds
0: 50, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: way past his age and, I, I, and just seeing the guys that like are coming in and you're like he's a true freshman like it's just absolutely insane uh the most important one obviously that everyone knows is nico just being able to see him get the uh the, you know have the spring camp spring ball but now i'm going to a fall camp prepping for his first season behind a guy like joe new offensive coordinator and joey Halsey. uh really excited to see how well that clicks with joey getting everything you know under his reign now he has a big task you know he's always been hype right hand man but now he is the man right under hype so really excited to look for how that is you know seeing the videos i guess for me like the the practice highlight videos everyone getting coached up uh nothing's really changed but you know i think a lot of guys are like <clears throat> being able to where they could you know they're, they're adding on to what they've done the last two years
0: yeah man i yeah, agree um, i talked to someone at practice today and they said dante thornton looks like there's nobody in the country that's going to be able to cover him and the word being out that he's just as fast as Jalen Hyatt is apparently extremely accurate. So that's going to be, that's going to be something to see, man. But the name I just keep hearing, man, is Arian Carter. And like his name just comes up every conversation about, you know, who who had a good summer, how he look out in workouts, whatever the case may be, his name comes up every single time. And you can see why Nick Saban did you know what he did to try to get him because clearly if Nick Saban's is going all in for you like that, clearly, you know, you, you got a chance. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what he can do, man. I'm, I really want to see what Cam Settle is able to do. I know that running back room is loaded, but I know that <clears throat> he can, he can line up in the slot. He can line up and running back, whatever you need him to do, man. So I'm excited to see what he does. Um I'm also looking forward to this, this, uh, this this idea of yours, Drew, the hot take, or the cold take, whatever the case may be, man. I, I got a couple, I got a couple hot takes, man. So uh I want to hear on, it. I want to hear dive, it. Dive into it on that. Let, let you know, speak on that. Yeah. So, let the people know. So
3: I've decided, you know, let's spice it up a little bit. You know, we've been talking about the same three or four things every single show, it feels like, for the last three or four months. So I got four takes for you guys, right? Se- segments called hot take. I'm going to get four statements out. I want to hear your thoughts on whether if you agree with that take as if it's going to happen in the future or why you don't agree with that take and why you think that's a hot take. So the first one I got, and I mean, I think it might be a scorching hot take, but, you know, y'all go for it. Joe Milton will break Peyton Ming's record for most touchdowns in a single season, which was 36 in 1997. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Okay.
1: I think the offense, obviously Joe's ability as well, but the offense kind of speaks for itself. If Hinden doesn't go down last year, he's probably, you know, really close to breaking that record. Uh, Does Joe take that next leap? I think he does. I think it's a way better situation he's coming in now than he did year one under Josh Heupel, just getting there in fall ball. He's had, you know, two years learned under Hooker. Now he has weapons around him, you know, Dylan Sampson at the running back room, Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, his receivers that we just mentioned, Dante Thornton, Bruce McCoy, Squirrel White, his tight ends, they, they went and got McCallum Castles, he got Jacob Warren, he has, he has veteran guys around him. And I think with that alone, I think this offense is not going to uh, miss a step. I, I'm not going to say that's too crazy of a take.
2: I don't think it's too crazy. No, I I don't. I don't know if he'll break it, but I think it's possible because of the receivers he has because he and most of these guys on this team uh, on the offense, this isn't a couple of years ago. They know this offense now. They know the wrinkles. There's going to be more wrinkles this year. You have a guy in Joe Milton who is incredibly experienced. And, you know, as you talk about this potential for breaking Peyton's record, you know, a lot of folks looking at, at Joe Milton and they're still remembering the overthrows in the pit game, you, you know, a couple of years ago, that's not the same Joe Milton that, that we're seeing. You know, I was in Miami for that orange bowl and I saw a guy that was, that was confident uh, that he was smooth. He was poised and he was ready to play. So I think it's possible. I think we're going to get an idea. I think your hot take is going to be interesting. We'll have a better idea on how this offense looks to attack uh, in the Virginia game, because you know, I'm just wondering how much more uh, Josh Heupel and Housley want to want to use the running game to set up the pass, or are they going to go pass to set up the run? I'm not sure, but I do think the the, the cadre of, re- of receivers he has, it, it's certainly within reach.
0: Man, I I actually agree with Brando. I don't really think it's that how of a take. You know, when you first say it, you kind of you know. <clears throat> Ask yourself. Sounds, uh, sounds yeah. spicy. But then when you think about <laughs> it, when you think about it, 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 it's very well set up for him to break it and surpass it heavily. It is. You have four really, really good wide receivers who can basically do whatever it is you ask them to do. Everything that a quarterback needs from a receiver, you have each attribute and each trait in all four of those receivers. Some have it all. Um, when you look at the offense the way the scheme is set up it's just everything that stacks up in this offense to the <laughs> players to you know coach hype putting all the players in the right position at the right time man i don't see why joe can't do it i mean i i think if he taps into the potential that We know he has. I do believe he can throw for 40 touchdowns. I do. If he taps into that, will he? I don't know. But also, Tennessee likes to run the football. So I also don't know if that's super realistic that he does that because as much as people think this is an air raid offense, it's really not. It's very balanced, and they run the ball a lot. So I don't know if he'll get the chance to throw 40, but it's possible. So, the
3: reason why, like, I have have that take on why I think, personally, I think it's a very high possibility is, like, when you look at Henry Hooker's last two seasons, you know, at Tennessee, in 2021, he threw for 31 touchdowns, which is only five off. And not to mention, he, you know, he technically didn't start the first two games of the season. You know, he came in, like, starting as a backup and managed to get over 30 touchdowns uh, within that season. And then, you know, last year as well, he threw for 27. And when you look at, you know, at the talent that we have at wideout, even the options that we have at tight end as well, you got four, five, six guys, seven guys, really, where you could be able – where they're threats, you know, down the field. And with Milton throwing over 10 touchdowns last year as a backup, I just think, like, if you replicate that, like, success and, like, that consistency that we saw from last year and the way that this offense is designed – yeah, I mean, you know, it's not necessarily pass heavy as like some people like to say it's an air raid offense because you did have two guys last year that had over double digits in rushing touchdowns. But the way that's designed, though, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to be able to throw deep balls and score.
1: I'll say a, not a crazy take. Joe Milton will have double-digit touchdowns after the first two games. Uh, Austin I think. I love now that. that is a very uh, that, hot take. That is scorching right there. <clears throat> I, I'm not too <throat> sure about that. It's very well possible. I mean, it's not. I mean, how's it going? He's danger. not going to play long enough. Nico will come
0: in in the second quarter like the, like he did Hendon Virginia. last year. Hendon didn't break Peyton Manning's record this past year because he came out so early in what four games and he still threw mm-hmm. that many touchdowns. 20%? Imagine, imagine <laughs> yeah. if he didn't come out in the first half against what was it? What's the uh, uh, ball Ty, state? Ty's dad. Uh, uh, Simpson. E. Martin. yeah yeah like he came out in like the second quarter man didn't play the rest of the game imagine if he stays in bro hooker would have surpassed it so that's why i think it's possible but also at the same time when they're playing those nobodies they do run it a lot too so yeah i don't know man but that's a, that's a i think i
3: think double digit within two games is pretty ridiculous I mean, like i would say it's yeah. ridiculous but like you you're expecting then I know they suck. I'm well aware of that. Number like they're 14, they're a horrible football team, but
1: ACC team in the preseason rankings. That's just...
3: So you just think they're going to like throw? He's going to just throw for six touchdowns in the first game. I mean, he's going to be a Heisman favorite after that. If he does. They're that, gonna but... they're gonna
0: come out emotional and ready to play. So Tennessee, I'm not saying like they're gonna lose, but <laughs> the first quarter. Virginia's going to give them all they have, so Tennessee better be ready for their best punch. Obviously, they should outlast it and win by 30. Have, but...
1: but I wonder what the best they have is. I mean, their quarterback situation, Brendan Armstrong leaving, the guy who they thought was going to be their starting quarterback through spring ball, he left. They're with, on a guy from FCS from Monmouth. I just think it's just going to be – that team has a lot of question marks, and Tony Elliott has his handful right now. I mean, thank God. Should have took
0: the Tennessee job, Goofy. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, they to say that out loud. CG, what do you think? Of this this take.
2: Well, I you know, the thing is, um I, I think back to the 90s with Spurrier and with Danny Werfel, and a lot of folks looked at Ike Ike Hilliard and Riddell Anthony, and that team, I mean, they could throw the ball all over the field, but the that that team that team's offense was set up by the running game. And uh, when I look at what we're gonna see this year, I I don't know if I want to see 35, 36, 37 touchdown passes thrown because I'm more interested interested in seeing us put teams away early, strike early, however we have to do it. Uh, I, I heard, caught what Rob said. I, listen, Virgin, Virginia is going to come in and give their best shot, and we're going to torch this team. Uh, l- listen, l- let me just say this. I, I am so tired. I don't mean anybody here, but I'm tired of the general Vols fan idea of, oh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about the hell with that. We had so many years of teams that we didn't know what we were getting. You know what? Now we know what we're getting. This is an offense that should average 40 plus points a game and over 500 points a game. And other teams should be fearing this team when we get on the field. They should hope that they're still in the game at the end of the first quarter. So Virginia, they can give their best shot with all due respect to them, the Vols are going to destroy them. And how they get there whether it's three touchdown passes or five touchdown passes or six, I don't know, but I'm interested to in seeing the kind of balance that we have and what's going to set up what. The run to the pass, the pass to the run.
0: I think it's
1: definitely I think it's going to be the run to the pass just because I don't it always it has, has been since he's been I don't here. know if you I don't know if you saw the workout videos, but Dylan Sampson has took another cool. stride. Jalen Wright oh, yeah. has gotten yeah. really better. And to you know, have a guy like Jabari Small that's a veteran that you're saying is probably going to be the third guy in line getting carries is absolutely insane. Just to say about the growth of those two, uh, the first two guys. like Dylan Sampson, this is going to be a really important year for him. And I'm excited to see him break it out. Rumors are that Dylan Sampson, uh, whenever <laughs> they did those new flicks and the New Jersey numbers, that he's going to be rocking the number six. So.
0: Can, Rumors was that Jalen Wright had the best summer of the running backs and Cam Seldon was
2: right behind them. I just want to add one more thing. I'm curious what you guys think of this. You know, sometimes we discount the emotion that goes into games. And these guys are hyped. They're ready to go. But I'll tell you what. If I'm Joe Milton, I am damn tired of looking at everybody, 247 Sports, ESPN, every you name it and the list of 10 quarterbacks to watch this year, and Joe's never on those lists. And you know that he is noticing that, and if he didn't notice, his friends and his teammates are telling him that. He's a quiet, poised guy, but I, I am expecting massive things from him right off the bat against Virginia.
0: Hot take: so Joe Milton has a 50-yard sprint for a touchdown in the third quarter. Nope, second quarter, second quarter. Cause he
2: yeah, probably ain't gonna be playing. The third <laughs> <second>. He <laughs> probably only, ain't gonna play third quarter.
1: Not only like have we seen the videos of like his passing over over the summer and stuff, but like they said he's even leaned down his body, lost you know a couple pounds. He to be looks good. Mm-hmm. Hendon yeah, Hooker he said that Joe Baker yeah. is
0: actually really really fast, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean saw, you know year one against Pitt where he went off of that six yeah. to seven. He, got he, he got
0: he got down, down though, bro. I'm sorry, he got hawked and he should have scored. He got hawked. All right.
3: No, I mean we've seen that. Like he is like, I mean he he can run. I mean we like, we saw that in Pitt last year. Uh, I mean in 2021. I mean my only thing is like, is he got the agility uh, and elusiveness kind of like what Hendon Hooker had? Because Hendon Hooker had that, and that was what was a huge difference with him last year. is being able to get out of that pocket and create a play. Yeah, his um, pocket
2: awareness is a little questionable. At times. It's a little,
3: yeah, it's a little suspect for sure. Yeah,
2: and and that was something that the Orange Bowl that that. That I had a question about. And that was, absolutely. He, he seemed. I don't know what was going on, but it, it. You know, he seemed like he was intent on showing everybody. I'm not going to rush out of the pocket. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go through my progressions. And there are times to all of your points about this where you want him to make that snap decision, like it's time to go. And and when he does that, he can go. But when he waits that split second, it's too late. It's too late. So here, here's
0: my thing. Here, I've always wondered this. I've never asked anyone. I need to ask someone, but have y'all noticed that our quarterbacks do not throw the ball away? Did y'all ever notice that? Like, yeah. uh, and, and this is no disrespect to Hendon Hooker at all, but in that Georgia game, Hooker hurt them a lot because he would not get rid of the ball. He just sat there and he held on to it rather than throwing it away, and that hurt them big time. And they had long third and fourth downs, and that's what hurt them when they were trying to get back into the game in the third that's and fourth a good quarter. Point. So, good point. I've never seen any quarterback under hypo since he's been in Tennessee throw the ball away. So, does he yeah. tell them to hold on to it, or I mean, obviously, I don't think he would, but I, I wonder why they don't because they
2: don't. You kind of know, from, it, yeah. Go ahead, no, oh, uh, for, for, oh, forgive me. Sorry, the, you know, Rob's point's interesting and. Uh, a couple of us in this room are old enough to remember when Heupel was quarterback at Oklahoma and a little newsflash, he didn't throw the ball away much when he was there. So to Rob's point, it makes me wonder if Josh is like, this is the way I want you to play uh, mm-hmm. because you're right. He he He's very much in Josh Heupel's image. And so was Hendon Hooker not throwing that ball away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think
3: that has to be a coaching, like a coaching practice oh, from Heupel and the skills. staff for sure, you know, and, I mean, I think it has the pros and cons. You know, being a little too hesitant and throwing the ball away early even as opposed to trying to create a play, you know, is obviously frustrating. But you also don't don't want to put yourself in a situation where you lose 10 or 15 yards on a play as well. So – I think with every decision has its pros and cons, and with that one, I don't really find it that big of an issue because this offense finds a way to bail itself out and be able to gain, you know, significant yardage, you know, at least every other possession. So. Yeah,
0: and that's that's one of the things. So I, I actually a couple of years ago when Joe Milton got the starting job, AP actually talked about this the defense was getting the best of the offense in fall camp. And they were backed up on like a third and 18. And then Joe Joe Milton flicks his wrist and throws an 80-yard bomb to Jalen Hyatt down the field. So I almost wonder if Hype was like, I don't give a shit if we're on third and 18. Squirrel down there somewhere, throw that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. like, exactly. So I mean, I don't know. It, it could be a part of the philosophy. You just don't know. <laughs>
1: I wanted to mention it earlier, but I'm really intrigued to see where this uh, offensive line room does go in the next week or two in fall camp. Just because uh, Gerald Mincy was running with the twos today on day one, and I know there's nothing to really look into, but the fact that Gerald Mincy, the guy that you know played so well last year, like he had to adjust this year because Darnold right left, you know, he had to go from the left to the right side. Apparently, he wasn't really too fond on doing that, and Jeremiah Crawford is getting the best of the reps he was on the Uh, left side he
0: wasn't on the right side so he's not even it looks like he might not even be the one replacing Darnell. regardless yeah yeah so it's
3: i'm i'm actually glad you mentioned that brando because so just based on like what we saw today at practice that starting offensive line was john campbell ollie lane cooper mays at center spragans and then jeremiah crawford as well which you know, I thought it was a little bit interesting as well. And, obviously, there's a lot of moving pieces, and it is the first day of practice. So, that could definitely change, you know, before Virginia, of course. But I did find it interesting, though, that um, he had Campbell at starting at that, you know, left tackle position.
0: I wouldn't look too much into it on day one of camp, man, because they're really just trying yeah. to – they know the media is out there. They let the media stay out there a little bit longer. And you know that these coaches
2: don't really like anything leaked like that. So, they probably just was mixing it up. as day one. My my wish is that everybody on that offensive line, the ones, the twos, that in in this camp, nobody gets injured because we always seem to get something like that early on and whether it's a maze or whoever, and then they're dealing with that every three weeks the rest of the year. If we can keep them healthy, that is going to go a long way to seeing this team have a great year.
0: That was the luxury for last year's team, the durability of the offensive line. No one got hurt, even when Minty got hurt. JJ came in, so they were interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you have that luxury this year. If Cooper May goes down, you don't have Jerome Carvin anymore. Who you got? Yeah, you know, I mean, Park yeah. the ball you got, is not coming in, he's not second string. That's just so, not the,
3: so <laughs> the third guy they had at center playing today getting some reps was uh Addison Nichols, which I thought was a little bit interesting as well. So, I mean, that might be a more of a development later on the season, but. Like what Rob said, I mean, we just – we still got a very – I mean, a good offensive line, but when you got guys like replacing like Drum Carbon and Darnell Wright, I mean, two massive pieces sides. for us. who didn't give up anything at all, you know. I mean, there's very little room for error. And luckily, you know, for us, and I think this is the big difference between the current regime that we have right now running the program compared to the previous coaching staffs, is that our, you know, our strength and conditioning program is a million times better than it was under Pruitt or, Butch, because you consistently heard about these guys getting injured during practice or in off-season workouts. And that's not – it's not really a thing anymore,
2: which I think speaks volumes about that. You know what? I'm going to go further back than that, and it goes all the way back to the final five, six years of Fulmer. Uh, And a a lot of folks don't want to say that. I'll say it because you're absolutely right. Strength and conditioning on this team. How many times did we watch a game down in the Swamp where it's always a key guy on the first series of the damn game. And he's going out and, and and that has not really been a huge thing. We've had little injuries, but no more than anybody else. Tennessee has been a mass unit for, for too many years. Definitely Josh Heupel. He has got that with who he has in in place and, and the training regimen and the, and the nutrition regimen. He has got this thing figured out with his staff.
0: Kurt is yeah. the definition of show me. No one knows who he is. No one knows okay. what he looks like. No one knows any other thing about him except <clears throat> his name is Kurt. And the players look damn good. Mm-hmm. And that's how Dro- you want. Josh
1: did not think twice about who was going to be his strength and conditioning coach when he got here. Uh, a lot of fans on the Vol Twitter wanted him to keep the guy that was here, but you know, and just keep him on the new staff. But you know, Heupel and Kurt Schmidt obviously have a crazy relationship going from UCF to here, and he's been mm-hmm. able to get guys ready when it comes to fitness, hit training. Uh, all the new day and age, new day and age stuff. So, it is what it is. Drew, do you have any more crazy hot takes for us?
3: I got three more. I got three All right, more. bring I was, it up. Told out. you, had four. We got three left. Second hot take, Aaron Beasley will finish the season with all SEC honors.
1: Yes, and it was absolutely ridiculous that when all the, you know, the SEC lists came out about last week, that Aaron Beasley's name was not on even first, second, or the third team. Uh, a guy that's, I'm glad it uh, was some has yeah. the best returning production uh, in a majority of the conference, and it's just absolutely insane what we saw in the Orange Bowl, and what he's going to be as a force coming into this season, being linebacker one. It, it blew my mind. I think this guy is going to have a crazy season. Uh, he's battling adversity from everything that happened two years ago to
2: now. I think this guy has the best of his football ahead of him. I think it's a hot take for every other writer that didn't vote him in. But for Tennessee fans, uh, I'm fully expecting that. That's I can't say it any clearer, any more succinctly than that. He He's also a beast. I can't wait to see what he's going to do this year. I fully expect him to be all SEC. I, I, first team is where I would see him ending up.
0: Absolutely. And he has the potential to do it. And I mean, he showed in the orange boat, he can do it against a really good Clemson oh, team. Yeah. A lot of people want to sit there and say, oh, Clemson was down. No, that was a good Clemson football team, whether you want to deny it or not. They were not the number, what, six, seven team in the country for no reason. Like you're not number 17 in the country if you're not a good football team. So miss me with all of that, trying to act like, oh, it was Clay Covellick's first game. I don't care what it was. You make the big bucks for a reason. NILs there for a exactly. reason. If you're getting paid, you're supposed to come in and perform and do your job. I don't Rob, care if you're a freshman or not. You get paid, figure it out.
2: Rob, I had, a, I had a loans, of, uh, I had a row of I had a row of Clemson fans behind me uh, at the game last year. I was at I was at the goal line on the side of the field that the Clemson band was on, and this woman she taps me on the shoulder. She goes. Who is that guy? Uh, <laughs> his, his, his name is Aaron Beasley. <laughs>
0: you know what I would? I would have turned around and said, "Yo, mama," for the night. That's what I would have said. <laughs> Yo, yeah. no yeah. father, for the night. All right, Aaron yeah. Beasley is what you call him. The seats that me and
1: Alex had for that game, right behind the Tennessee sideline, uh, seeing Aaron Beasley like hit that hole, man, it was just—it was beautiful. I think whoa, I looked whoa, at whoa. Alex.
2: What? What? You were there. How Did you guys why didn't we connect? CG, CG, (laughs) what the hell? Me and Drew,
1: Brando was so drunk last year. For the like, we we were there for the Florida game, we were there for the Bama game. Me and Alex were in South Beach, Miami, and Coral Gables on the University of Miami's campus for like three days. Made it all the way up to Fort Lauderdale. I do not know how I was at the same location three different times last season and did not see you.
2: Now, Now, see, now, now that explains when I was there. I remember seeing this dude uh, that looked like you, and I heard him say, "There's CG, take off." Uh, and so, oh
1: <laughs> CG. When, when me and Alex finally <laughs> thought of the idea of, like, "Oh my goodness, we should link with CG." I'm, I think you're glad that you did not see
2: me and Alex. That's okay. We we all left happy that night, in one way or another. Yeah, with a hundred
1: dollar Uber <laughs> later.
2: Awful. No, I mean, when you look back at, like, you know,
3: the strides that Aaron Beasley made from 2021 to last year, I mean, it's just a night and day difference. And he wound up at the end of 2021 being a very good player for us too. But the two games I just remember the most from him from last year, especially was obviously that Clemson game, of course. And, dude, LSU, I mean, he was, like, a force in that LSU game. And I still, like, can't stop thinking in the back of my mind that fourth and one play where he just bursts through the middle of that offensive line and makes that stop too. So – I think, you know, Bob, you know, the production that we saw from him last year is very positive. And, you know, here in Hypo and the staff talk about he's essentially a leader with this defensive group, and I think he's going to make that final step. And I'm telling you, I think he's going to lead the team in tackles. And I don't think it's a hot take at all to think that he's going to be a first team or even second team All-SEC player. i got a hot take for you. Y'all ain't What's serious. What's here? us
0: hear it to me wrong. By the end of the season. Uh-huh. Arian Carter will have replaced Keenan Pilly at linebacker. I, I think that's a, an amazing
1: take. Listen, I think Tennessee did a very good job going into the portal and getting veteran experience. Um, does he have a blow-up year like we've seen many guys that come to Tennessee and you know be able to have that kind of production? I think it's very well possible. I think uh, Juwan Mitchell <clears throat> probably could have done more. I think uh, Keenan Pilly can be that guy at the linebacker too. But I think Arian Carter, the way he's just kind of trending upward, it's going to be hard for him, like, not to see the field. We even saw Elijah Herring last year doing that, and having a guy like uh, Arian Carter coming in this season and being able to do that. Uh, I think Keenan Pilly is a great player. I think he's a great veteran for the linebacker room. But I think that, like, it was I think 160 tackles over four years. Like, that's about you know 40 50 average. How does that transition from BYU to the SEC? We'll have to see.
0: The speed is different, for one, in the SEC. And then, two, I think we have another Darren Kirkland situation on our hands, Colton Jumper, where two freshmen might be young, he might be fresh, but he's a little more athletic, he's a little bit faster, and he understands the game, and he's really, really smart. Hmm, who do you think about that? Darren Kirkland Jr., super smart, freshman, more athletic, and you couldn't kicked him off the field. I think we have the same situation on our hands. Brandon,
3: I'm glad yes. you actually mentioned about Jawan Mitchell, too, because I think a lot of people forget from that first season under Hypel, Beasley was exactly. actually behind Jawan Mitchell. And everyone thought, oh, Jawan's going to be the guy because he has that leadership. He has that experience of playing, you He's know, D1 hitter. football. Exactly. and. Honestly, if Arian Carter winds up starting more games at the end of the season, I think we're in a great situation. I would be much more concerned if Keenan Peely, which no disrespect to him, I think he's a good player. But if he winds up starting majority of the games and getting most of the reps over Arian Carter, I think that would be a little bit concerning as far as his development goes. But I agree completely, Rob. I, 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 in fact, I would, I would even argue that Arian Carter winds up being a freshman all-SEC as well. I think There's he has kid. that potential.
1: A Definitely. kid at my work, I work at a retail store and there's a kid at my work that plays high school in my alma mater. He said that, you know, last year they scrimmaged Smyrna, and Arian Carter hit him so hard that he didn't want to play football for a week. I think <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah. What's so, crazy uh,
0: is Arian Carter wanted to play running back in college, and he was a three-star. And he was messed around and to sent Memphis, out –
1: Yeah, was he was one to Memphis. to play running back.
0: He sent out linebacker film in Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Tennessee immediately called him the next day after watching his film. That's is like, bro. That's crazy. And mm-hmm. what number does he have? Do you guys know his number? I love it. It's number seven. Number seven. Who's number seven? Way Dude. back when, I know CG knows. Two thousand. to say five, Maya. Maya. I can't think of the years off the top of my head, but yeah. I think yeah, Mayo's was 04-07. He was yeah. a dog. He was yeah, a man. Good. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Hey, and, and let, let me let me tell you something. Let's let's get something straight right here, right now. And this is how I am telling you guys. And I know for a fact that Arian Carter is the truth. You name me one player in the last ten years that has came to the University of Tennessee and got a single digit number as a true freshman. You can't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you, can't. Are you, you don't get a single, single digit number as a true freshman, bro. You don't are you talking that? about? Are you talking
3: about like for just defensive players in general, or just all players?
0: I'm just saying, like all players, two freshmen normally don't get single digit numbers. So obviously, well, you know, you got like quarterbacks and whatnot, I, but I, I for mean, the most say, part, like, a linebacker on defense, you're not getting number right. seven. You're you're not getting that.
3: You're not. I mean, I was I was going to make I was just going to say like, well, Garantano was number
2: two his freshman year, but you know. <laughs> it's amazing how often his name finds its way into a conversation you, 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 we, we could be talking about doing taxes like you know what it reminds me of jared garantano It just yep. you know just always comes up he taxed tennessee he
0: gave it his all at the, the two-yard line against alabama he taxed was like, us out was a,
1: a kid was having to get cards at our store and he was like life's not there, and i literally said yeah and jared garantano fumbled at the goal line so oh,
0: man. you know what's crazy bro I mean, I'm, I'm all about hypotheticals. I love hypotheticals. I really, really do. And some of them are stupid, but I don't think this one is. I really think Tennessee wins that football game if he hands the ball off. I really do. Thousand percent. I really well, think man, Tennessee wins that game, yes. She and they didn't call that ball. pass interference in the end zone on, mm-hmm. with Jawan Jennings. Like, we got cheated. I mean, Daryl Taylor, hit clean hit, just gets a 15-yard flag. Like,
3: but – you know what, I'll say this though. I'm glad that at the end that we won the way we did last year against Alabama to beat the streak, then as opposed to would have won it with Jarrett fucking Garantana as a quarterback. If he was the guy that snapped our streak, I don't I don't know how I would have felt about that. I would have been like, oh yeah, it's great. And then later on, you're like, really, out of all the quarterbacks
2: that we had through the years, it was this guy. He had guy a that chance, snapped?
0: man. He had a chance.
2: <laughs> I mean, Josh Dobbs had two <laughs>
0: opportunities to beat Alabama too.
2: Well, you know, what? and going like, to you damn, talk yeah. Rob talking about hypotheticals if Garantano hands it off, if they, if the Vols win that game, the emotion last year in that stadium would have been there, but not nearly as much as it was yeah. with Agreed. that buildup. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I agree.
0: 100%. I agree. But that's why we play the game on hypotheticals, man. It's that's great. it. That's it's it. Play yeah, the game. It is, you know, it's, it's always right. fun to.
3: We ready up, for a uh, take number three here. Bring it, bring it on. All right, boys. The Vols will make the college football playoff in 2023. That's a crazy hot take.
0: I'm going to tell you how I feel right now. A lot Boy. of people might not like this, but I'm going to The say only
1: it. way that happens is if, with this year's new rule, right? I think it's like the best two teams, non-east, non-west, the best two teams in the SEC go to the SEC championship. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not, you know, it could be two from the east, right? Is that it's next game? year. Next year they uh, do that, 2024. 2024. I don't know. That's crazy hot take. I was going to say the only way. I... Days...
0: Look, man. Look, I'm going to tell you like this. And I'm one of the very few people that's going to say this, bro. I am not picking Tennessee to beat Georgia until they do it. So until Tennessee beats Georgia, I do not see them going to the college football playoffs. And even if they so happen to go 11-1, and they're going to meet Georgia again, and they're going to lose again until they prove to me that they can beat Georgia. I'm just going to have to see it until I believe it. I'm not getting caught up in the hype. I got caught up in the hype last year when the number one rankings got released. And Josh Hyper on TV smiling like this. Like, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm like, shit, Tennessee feeling good. And they walked in there and got pancakes. So, nope, not happening this year. Nope. Prove
2: it. I am the opposite of Rob on this okay. one. Um and a couple of reasons, I, but I I don't I don't think they're going to make the playoff this year. I don't know how the road goes, but I do think that last year we saw an end to we saw a big road win in Pittsburgh. We saw the end of the Florida streak. We're just in terms of ha- having Florida finding ways to win a game. That last drive, I thought, oh here we go again. Um, we saw going down to LSU and pounding them. We saw an end of the Alabama streak we saw a lot of endings last year. I really believe that this year when Georgia comes in, uh, I think they're going to be missing a little bit, uh, you know, at the quarterback position, I'm not saying they don't have, you know, somebody uh, on their depth chart who's going to come <laughs> in and play well, but I, I don't think it's going to be somebody. It, it's, it can't be somebody as steady as, uh, as Stetson. But I do think what Tennessee went into in Georgia last year, if, and I think it's the magic if, if the Vols are in the hunt, Neyland is going to be lit like the Oklahoma game. I mean, yeah. it's going to make yeah. the Alabama game seem like romper room. And and I just – I think that what happened to the Vols last year and, – and look, I don't know if the three of you agree with me, but that Tennessee – that game last year, yeah. that could have been a win. Uh, the, the, the game just – that first drive, things just didn't go right. A, an overthrow here, an underthrow there, a drop there – Getting a field – things just didn't break right. But I really believe what Georgia's going to be – with all due respect to the Georgia Bulldogs, they're walking into a hornet's nest this year. I'm hoping that that game is at night uh, yeah. in, in, in Neyland. I would love to see it. Love to see it. Be cold. That's uh, be cold, my cold, cold night, is, night game. man, <laughs> my, my
0: thing is Kirby Smart has proved time and time again since he's been there – that He's gonna get his guys up to play for any football game, no matter what game it is. Somehow, some way he gets his guys fired up to come into kneeling and just beat the brakes off of him. I don't know how he does it, but he has done it ever since he's been there, man. And Tennessee's barely had a chance to beat him. And CG, I gotta disagree with you. I don't think Tennessee had a chance to win that game last oh, year. Oh, really? Okay. I don't think they had a chance. And simply because if we're being honest, anyone who watched that football game, you can see Kirby took his foot off the gas very early and very early. He just started running the football because he knew defensively that they were locked in. Hooker had had his, he, he had a rough game. He missed a lot. He was shook. The crowd was going crazy. And I had, I had a friend who was on the sideline and his exact words. He texted me. I I will show you the screenshot. I'll go back and find it. He texted me and said, these boys are shitting themselves right now. And that's all I needed to know. And that was in the first quarter after the first five minutes of the game.
2: See, and I and I am I'm living in the the Rob hypothetical world here right now okay. because because I I would agree with you in the second half. I I didn't think the Vols were going to find a way to do it. What I'm saying is prefaced on how the game started, and yeah. the way the game started, I really felt that if the magic if again, fellas. If this, if that, a few of those come together, we drop seven on them. Things, that, and then it's a whole. You know, we let Bennett get out of a third down play. So many things happen that were not the way things happened most of the year. Tennessee was not as good a team as Georgia last year on either side of the ball and special teams. There's no maybe special teams close, but there's no question about that. And you're right, Rob. Kirby finds a way to get his guys up. I really feel like for all the goodness that we saw with Hypo last year, one of the great things that he has shown all of us is he learns from mistakes. Absolutely. And, and I really believe that that was a learning moment for him. It was a teachable moment, as was the South Carolina game. So that's where my hope lies. Um, and, and you know, I may end up being wrong about it, but it's this is going to be a vastly more competitive game this year than what we've seen uh, in Nealand and overall in the series, the last couple of times they played each other, except for the Juwan Jennings moment.
0: Interesting question for you. What do you think Hype learned from that Georgia game? Uh,
2: I think he learned about preparation. I think he learned the mental side of things. Uh, as even keel as he is, I remember him talking at the SEC media days about how he's got to be calm because if his players see him calm, then they're going to be calm. But I really feel like hype, and I'm speculating now, I feel like hype had his guys believing we're going in there and winning that game. And I feel like there might have been, you don't want to put them on a pedestal, but you want to respect them. And I felt like our guys came out watching them in pregame warmups. They just looked to be a little bit of a swagger. Uh, I don't want them looking timid, but I felt like they, a little bit, as crazy as it seems, underestimated Georgia just a little bit, overestimated themselves a little bit. And I think, uh, Rob, I think that's what Josh learned. I like he's gotta, that, though. He's got to like find that. a little more balance.
0: Yeah, I like yeah. that. I, I, I like, I like that explanation. I like how you broke that down. I like that. That's valid.
1: I mean, the only factor this year going from last year is that we play them, like, way later in the season. This is a November game. Uh, this year. It's game 11, so they
0: might have the quarterback situation figured out yeah, by then. But
1: when, when I, when I, when that was going to be my point, though. I just don't think that Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff are the guys that are going to be able to step in after what Stetson's done the last two to three years. I mean, and but be, uh, a, be championship ready, you year uh, one. I, I don't, that, don't feel I, like, I don't like it's, it's fair take. for you to say that because it's they happened every blueprint. year Kirby's been there. Look, they, they, no have matter who's that quarterback. they have the blueprint around it. but I, I feel like there's a lot of pieces that now play for the Eagles from that team last year. Uh, I think, you know, it's if there's going to be a chance, it's going to be this year. Brand, this
0: is not fair to say that because they prove time is... and time again, year after year, that they're going to find a quarterback that gets the job done for them. I mean, has... Stetson Bennett was a freaking walk-on, bro, and he just won them two back-to-back national championships, bro. Georgia is going yeah. to find a way. Kirby Smart is the I best mean, coach in college football right now for a reason.
3: From a talent perspective, both Carson Beck and – Brock They're five stars for quarterbacks. For they're, bo- they're much more talented <laughs> quarterbacks than Stetson Bennett. And, I mean, Stetson Bennett was a good college quarterback. He was a good system quarterback where he was able to get the job done and, you know, create opportunities. But to say that, like, there's going to be a drop-off, dude, I mean, you're talking about 2021 they had – or 2020 they had – JT Daniels, who was a five-star, transferred from USC. Isaiah Newton, who was predicted to be preseason all-ACC player. Yeah, number one overall transfer, pick.
0: Number one overall.
3: And doesn't and play. Stetson Bennett won the job over both of them. I mean, you know, and that's not to say, like, he wasn't, like, a back quarterback. But, like, dude, it doesn't matter who they have a quarterback. Like, they're going to figure it out. Um, going back to, like, Rob and CG's debate there, I was, like, really enjoying listening to that. I kind of agree with both of you guys. Um just because, from Rob's perspective, that was the biggest home game George had in God knows how long. And, you yeah, know, the combination, yeah. combination with the rain as well, and just the crazy ass weather. I mean, it's just a combination to be an extremely hostile and very Eric difficult Ames, place dumbass, to win. You know. And Eric Ainge, of course, just giving them <laughs> fuel to the yeah. fire, which is idiot. not surprising at all from him. For absolute sure. idiot. But, From CG's perspective, though, a lot of people forget about this. That first drive that Georgia had to start off the game, they fumbled the ball, and we started off within our own 45, 50-yard line, and we had a great opportunity to be able to – be able to get six, Hmm. and we had about two or three overthrown passes from Hooker to Hyatt, which was very rare. We hadn't seen that all year. Well, Hyatt actually let up on
0: one of those routes, so it was like a lot of people didn't see that live on TV, but if you go back and rewatch that Georgia game, that first ball that Hidden Hooker overthrew Hyatt, he didn't overthrow Hyatt. Hyatt let up because he didn't think Hooker was going to throw it. That's a great observation. And then he tried to get it, and that's when he also hurt himself and tweaked his ankle a little bit. A lot of people didn't realize that during the game.
2: Yeah, it's a great observation because you could you could if you break that down and you watch the film, you'll you'll see where he lets up just yep. a little. And that was the difference in the completion and an incomplete. Because that was a touchdown.
0: 100 yep. percent Yeah, it was, was, was a touchdown. He had yep. a beat.
3: Yep. And you're talking about if he gets a touchdown right there. I mean, my God. I mean, you talk about the momentum swing sucking the life out of the air of that, of that crowd. I mean, if for we're sure, being honest,
0: Cedric Tillman was actually kind of abusing Keely Ringo. He kind of yeah. was. It's yeah. just Jalen Carter took over. It was like, all right, you <laughs> had your fun, Hooker. Good night. And he took <laughs> yes, over. That, that's, that's really it. what
3: happened. That, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. But going back to the main take that I have, and the reason why I say this, right, and as a lot of people forget about because, you know, there's a lot of different rule changes with Texas and Oklahoma joining next year, just saying that the two top teams will make it in. That's not the case this season. This is the last year where the top East team and the top West team play each other for the SEC title game. Granted, I don't think we're going to beat Georgia this year. I just think Georgia's—they're the like—they're kind of like how Alabama was in the early 2010s, where it's like when they lose six or seven, eight guys, they're just going to reload with town. I mean, they've consistently have had the top two, top three recruiting classes for the last three or four seasons. So there's not going to be a fall off in town at all by any means. However. I still have questions about Alabama and their quarterback situation. I'm not sold on Ty Simpson. We saw how Jalen Milro played against Arkansas in a couple, and Texas A&M as well last year. And he is – I mean, there's a huge drop off in talent, in my, in my opinion, going from Bryce Young to those two. And that game is going to be difficult. I mean, that, that's going to be a really pressurized game, I feel like, for Nick Saban and this team. And I think Alabama is going to know that they have to win that game because they know if they lose that game as well – I mean, their shot of making the playoff is, I mean, it's gone because they're not going to beat Georgia in the SEC title game, in my opinion. So if you win one of those two, if you win against either, you know, Alabama, and ideally Alabama beating them and losing to Georgia would actually give us the best situation of making the playoff because Michigan and Ohio State, they're going to they play each other. They're going to lose. LSU and Alabama, they play each other. One of those teams are going to lose as well. USC and Oregon as well, they play each other. So, I mean, it's going to off balance and it's going to give Tennessee the opportunity to be able to make, sneak themselves into that playoff as a three or four. Now, granted, that has yeah, to mean like that South they Carolina. have to take care of business against South Carolina and Missouri. And Missouri won't be an easy game this year for us either. And I know people are talking about Kentucky. I'm not worried about Kentucky. We always beat Kentucky. Uh, so let, let, just,
2: let me just throw one more game in that I've noticed a lot of folks um, are kind of bypassing, not necessarily intentionally, but bypassing. Mm-hmm. And that is the trip to Gainesville, uh, because you know, talking about a team that owes another team not just owe, owes them a loss, but owes them a beatdown, an absolute savage beating. And it's funny. I, I don't re- I don't give a damn what fans have to say, but it's funny. we yeah. looking at looking at what Florida fans are like. They're just counting, like they're already counting it as a W. You know, we got this game. So, pardon my English. This ain't the Vols of the past. Uh, th- this is not the Tennessee go- team going in there. You know, I've said this forever. I've said it on mm-hmm. this program. V- Florida teams forever expect to beat Tennessee. Tennessee hopes to beat Florida. That I'll say the word in Greek. That's kata is over. Uh, I'm Greek, <laughs> by the way. Uh, that is going in there, and he is where where he was off a little in Georgia. I, he's going to have them chewing glass and spitting fire going into the swamp and I am not only expecting a win but I am expecting this team to beat the hell out of that team.
0: They definitely should because Florida yeah. is just abysmal. So yeah. they definitely should, yeah. but at the end of the day, if we're being if we're being honest, <laughs> those last so those 16 years or 15 years whatever where Tennessee didn't beat Florida, about 10 of those games Tennessee should have won. Easy. Should have won. You know Should've what I'm saying? Won. So yep. and they didn't, you know, so you just never know going down to the swamp. Andrew, I want to say this about Alabama. Yeah. I'm I was completely out on Jalen Milro, but I've also seen someone of his caliber turn it around and figure it out. Now I'm mm-hmm. not comparing the two players, I'm comparing okay. the play style and to how right. they play the game of football into how the critics talk about them lamar jackson was disrespected heavily he can't throw the football all he can do is run he's just an athlete look at him now if jalen milrow figures it out and he develops properly i'm telling you right now jalen milrow can absolutely win the heisman at alabama if he figures it out imagine your quarterback being the fastest on your football team for one number two You have nothing but five-star wideouts all around you and five-star linemen all around you. So you're going to be protected. You're going to be able to get the football out of your hands if you can make the right reach, figure it out, throw the ball. And also, the guy runs like a 4-2. So if he can put it all together and figure it out, think about Lamar Jackson at Alabama six, seven years ago. That team is unstoppable. If Millwall can figure it out and that offense takes, you know, a mm-hmm. step to the next level like most people think it will because it's Nick Saban. Okay. Yeah. I gotta be honest, man. I don't know who's gonna beat Alabama. I don't I mean, if if that's, that's that's a big if.
3: I mean, that is uh that is an interesting uh comparison. And I don't really I don't think it's that far fetched because I mean, you know, when you remember watching him going into that Arkansas game, and Grant, he struggled a lot, but he had that one breakaway play where, one he where he ran for seventy five yards. Off. Yeah. Where he looked exactly like that. You know, like, he – I mean, don't get me wrong. He has, like, exceptional talent. He has all the talent in the world to be yeah. an All-SEC, All-American quarterback at Alabama. There's no doubt about that. But just judging based off the film that we've seen from last year, seen from that Arkansas game, and let's be honest, that Arkansas team was not very good last year, and seen against but Texas A&M way, playing a
0: game. and It was at
3: home. So but the big one, though, the big one, though, Texas a who were – Awful last year. That game was at home. That was a game that Alabama should have won by at least three touchdowns. And it was a night game in Bryant Denny as well. And it came. But down and them to the wire. didn't
0: get blown out by anybody. They lost a lot of games, but they were in every single football game that they played. If we're being honest. So I mean, yeah, yeah, they weren't good. But in the in the in the win column, they were not good. But they had a chance to win every game. They had a chance to beat Alabama at home. Just saying, man. I'm no, saying, no I mean, saying. no,
3: like, you're right. No, like, you're right. I mean, and, like, don't get me wrong. That last year's record does not, for at least for Texas and doesn't yeah. translate yeah. of, like, how talented they are. because they're, They've got argue, probably they're the,
0: the second or third talented roster in the country. It goes Georgia, yeah. it goes Alabama, and then it goes Texas A&M. And if we're being honest, you might can put Texas A&M over Alabama at this point. You might can. You, you have from, a strong from case. A stars, yeah, Yeah, I mean, from a star perspective, perspective absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah, no, no so. doubt about it. Yeah, no. But
3: when I'm just judging based off last year, I just think right now at the moment, and Grant, the season, I mean, once the season comes up, a lot of things can unfold and a lot Absolutely. of predictions can be changed. I'm just thinking looking at – on paper right now, Alabama's more of a realistic win for Tennessee than Georgia is, and just based of, off of last year and what both teams are returning back. But this Tennessee team – and it's like what I told Brando a couple weeks ago. This Tennessee team can either go 8-4 and four or they can go 11-1. and one. I mean, it all solely comes down to, like, how well Joe Milton plays. I mean, and you don't want to put too much pressure on one guy, but literally we saw last year and last couple of years, having that quarterback and having yeah. that right type of play changes the entire dynamic of a whole entire team. So.
0: I think it's the defense, man. I think it's the defense. I think if a Tennessee goes 11-1, 12-0, I promise you it is the defense because I, it, it, as, as arrogant as it sounds, I'm not really worried about offense. I, I Like, I'm not. Like, Josh Heupel brought in Hendon Hooker. Well, he didn't bring him in, but he turned Henning Hooker into yeah. pretty much a Heisman quarterback. If, if Hendon Hooker doesn't get hurt, he absolutely wins the Heisman. You know that? Let's just call it Spade a Spade. At All least right? finals. finals. Yeah. Dylan Gabriel is considered one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Who developed him? Oh, wait a minute. Josh Hyper. All right. Cool. So, I... You see where I'm going? I, you see what no. I'm saying? Like, and
3: I mean, I, I understand that. I think the thing is, for me, it's like I'm not worried about this offense not scoring points. You're never going to have that issue of Josh Heupel, but is this offense going to have the same explosiveness that they had last season? Like, are we going to be able to connect? Is Joe Milton going to be able to consistently connect at the deep balls and make those, you know, you know, explosive plays? Like, I think like how be better did last year?
2: I, I think, think so too. Be I because think I, Milton. Look, 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 Milton
0: gives you the option. Milton gives you the option to be able to throw in the middle of the field whenever you feel like it, because you're not going to get to it. He just throws that hard, excuse me. And he also gives you the option of getting the ball to square white in 0.2 seconds
2: where you ain't got
0: time to get over there. He's already
2: 10 yards down the field. You can make, yeah, you can, absolutely. You can make the argument, uh, and I think it's a safe argument, that Joe Milton has more weapons at his disposal this year, and he has several guys that, are versatile. They can be coming out of the backfield. They can be going in motion. There's so many different things that this offense can do. the The question really is to answer your your point, Drew. Will it be more explosive? If Joe Milton plays like we saw him against Vandy, it was a driving rain. It was Vandy, but he still did what he had to do. And then yeah. Clemson, where, as Rob said earlier, this was not some half-baked Clemson team. This was a good Clemson team mm. that he picked apart. If he does that this year, they will score. They will run up yards on on, on people like me eating pulled pork when I'm in Knoxville. <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to get ugly in a good way for us.
0: If you got Jalen Hyatt out here splitting (laughs) safeties and cornerbacks in the NFL and you telling me Dante Thornton is just as fast, but he's taller and he's bigger and he's more athletic and has better hands, shit, don't tell me the offense ain't going to be better this year. Mm -hmm. It a thousand percent is. All Joe got to do is flick his wrist. And I don't – if Joe Bilton – look, bro, Joe Bilton is so talented, all he has to do is flick his wrist across the middle of the field like he did to Jimmy Holiday last year, it's just a flick. Yeah, and also Ramel Keaton that long touchdown. What did Joe do? Joe literally just did this. It's a flick of the wrist. <laughs> yeah. If Joe can, <laughs> if Joe can get the flick of the wrist down right, no one's yeah. gonna stop this offense, man. I mean, think about it. in In all the in the last sixteen years that Nick Saban has been at Alabama, there has not been one coach to shred an Alabama defense the way Josh Hyper's team did. And if we're being honest, last year, Josh Heupel shredded the defense too. It's just the defense on Tennessee's side ran out. They couldn't compete. And then yeah. the offense just got flushed to two. So it was one trickle effect. But Josh Hyper has already shown he's going to score anybody and everybody. Georgia had the best defense in the history of college football. And who scored the most points on them? Tennessee. I'm just saying, man. The offense going to score. And you got a quarterback like Joe Milton, if you can figure it out, shh. And who who's going to beat him Who's going to beat this
1: team? Literally, like you said, man, a flick of the wrist, like that that highlight to Squirrel in the Orange Bowl and then catching the stride striding on back to back, like, I think we saw clear enough in the Vandy and Clemson games, granted like everyone's taking all the the orange and or white game notes or whatever, I think we saw yeah. in the Vandy and Clemson games that, you know, the the problems have kind of been fixed, and might there be one or two occasional you know, overthrows, yeah, that comes with playing in the quarterback position, but I think the What we saw year one compared to who Joe Milton is now is a completely different player.
0: Here's when I knew that Joe Milton figured out the the overthrowing and underthrowing. Here's when I knew. And you might think it's funny, but it's the truth. In the Vanderbilt game, Joe Milton underthrew Jalen Hyatt on that bomb. He underthrew him. Joe Milton has never underthrew a soul in his entire life. (laughs) Jalen had to slow down and catch the ball right here, and that is why he failed. So when I see Joe Milton underthrew Jalen Hyatt, I say, yeah, he got it figured out because you don't underthrow him, and Joe Milton don't no. underthrow nobody. So that's when I was like. All right, man, he's got to leap the deep ball figured out, <laughs> and the rest of them that he threw that game, they were mainly pass interferences. So, hey, and it was rainy, man. It's, it's hard to play football. I mean, it, like yeah, that, you know, I mean you know
3: that mean? was just that was just a very, I mean, it was a tough. It was a tough conditions, you know, for hot or for Milton to be able to like have those explosive plays. Right. But we saw we saw him throw those against Missouri, especially you know in that fourth quarter. Which I mean, the one that he had to scroll white, where it was like seventy five yards downfield. Oh the field, my gosh. Is, I
1: almost oh
0: feel like, God, like Joe Milton throws it <laughs> so hard that because think about it. Like I don't know if y'all know this or not, but think about it, squirrel white. Every time Joe Milton hits him deep, he falls. So I'm wondering, is Joe Milton putting so much heat on a 75 yard bomb that Squirrel just falls every time? Because if you go back and check the film, he falls every single time Joe oh, yeah. Milton a bomb every time. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, like, dang, is the ball coming that hard or what? You know what I mean? Like, it's funny to see. But oh yeah, it's just, yeah.
3: Boys, last take. Um one i want got for you and this one I, even when i broke this one down i knew it was a scorching hot take but love to hear y'all's <laughs> thoughts on it dylan sampson will lead the balls in rushing touchdowns this year
1: that's i don't know i think that's i think that's a true statement i you think, think so? what, i think dylan sampson who we <laughs> saw if we're going to point to the missouri game and the vanderbilt game i think dylan sampson's the guy i mean what we saw dylan sampson do against missouri then go and doing that last game where him and Jalen Wright just completely came unglued against Vanderbilt. I think that year one to year two, he's absolutely taking different strides. Dylan Sampson got here way, way late before last season. He barely, you know, had fall camp. Justin Williams-Thomas was the back that everyone was hype about. Justin Williams-Thomas went to Cal, but Dylan Sampson, he's that guy that he learned the system. He kind of blew up, and I think what we've been seeing, you know, in spring ball, what we've been seeing in the Mm -hmm. videos with all the running back room together. I think that that guy's, he's, he's definitely had his best football ahead of him.
2: When when you look at Dylan (laughs) Sampson and I'm going to ask, I'm asking this in earnest. It's not a rhetorical question. What is, what is Dylan Sampson's strength to you? And then I'll follow up. What is his strength North South or East West?
0: Ooh. So if he's got a straight line, definitely north and south. Okay. If he can just if he can just take off definitely north and south. Yeah. I don't really feel like he showcases east and west much. I don't feel like he played enough for us to analyze that.
2: And that's why I asked because I think so far what we've seen from him is a north south guy. And this offense is a north-south running game. We haven't seen a lot of misdirection. We haven't seen a lot of student body left or right. We just haven't seen a lot of that. I'd like to see more. But if we don't see more, if we continue to see a lot of north-south kind of plays, uh, then I think that Dylan Sampson will lead the team in rushing. I absolutely do.
0: It's definitely going to be Jalen Wright, and I'm not even going to debate that. (laughs) Jalen Wright had the best workout the best summer of all the running backs and ask me who Jalen Wright's best friend is. I wonder if y'all know who his best friend is. Take a wild guess. Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt is is Jalen Wright's best friend. He saw what Jalen Hyatt did last summer. He saw what Jalen Hyatt did last season. And for a reason that the words coming out of summer that Jalen Wright had the best um, summer of all of the running backs. And it's, I personally think he's starting by game two, game three. I think he's
2: starting. Let's look at this for a second from 30,000 feet. When you think about we're talking about running backs, we're talking about wide receivers, the offensive line, Uh, talked about the defense a little bit. And what have we talked about this uh, this, uh, hour and three minutes? We're talking about something that we haven't seen a lot of over the last 10, 12, 13 years, depth. We have Mm-mm. guys at different positions. We have different guys that can step up. And whether it's Wright, whether it's Samson, whomever, whichever receiver is gonna be doing things, this this there's so many weapons. There's so much, there's so much versatility on what this team can do. I think that more than anything else, fellas, that is what excites me because a couple of years ago, I mean, this was you know, this was the wild bunch uh yeah. that, that he took over. And now you know, and then it kind of worked his way up to the Dirty Dozen, and now he's got a battalion of talent on this team, and it's—he's still not done. We're still not going to see where this team is going to be a legit college football playoff favorite in another year or two. But right now, I'm—I am liking what I'm seeing, and I think there's a lot of reasons for the players that we mentioned tonight. That this team, yeah, are they eight and four? Well, they could be eleven and one. Who knows? But there's a lot to pick from here. I mean, the potential
3: that this team has for this upcoming season, is just – it's unbelievable. I mean, they could – I mean, like I mentioned earlier, they could very easily make the playoff. The talent is there. The amount of weapons that we have in depth as well is – I mean, it's definitely there. And I think that's the huge difference between, you know, not just last year, but like especially, you know, going into 2015 and 2016, I think a lot of fans thought, like, hey, we might be a dark horse of making the playoff. Like, we have a good starting 11. But we got – you know – 15, 16, 17 guys off from the offense that could be able to make those plays that could, you know, play just as well, playing at the same level as Alabama and Georgia's, uh, you know, of the college football world. So I think it's going to be exciting. My only thing, the reason why I would say Dylan Sampson could potentially lead the team in rushing touchdowns is because um, just like from that Missouri game that Brando mentioned last year, I mean, he had showed a lot of potential. He has the potential to be an outstanding running back for us. Like I, I think all of us can agree on that. But I mean, I'm taking into effect as well that, you know, Jabari Small, as much as I do like him and how well he's played at Tennessee the last couple of seasons, he is injury prone, which is going to give Dylan Sampson more opportunities as well to get those reps too. But I think all three of those guys in general are going to probably get Mm reps splitted pretty equally equally among the three. Um, But I think regardless, I mean, this is the best running back room that we've had in a number of years for sure, especially talent and not to mention. And we got Cam Selden potentially being a four-string running back, which is just – absurd i mean you, you, know, use- you gotta
0: think about it man that definitely the the talent is there that that hasn't been there in quite some time man and these guys have the quiet confidence to them because over the last 10 years you haven't heard one tennessee team say we want to go win the east you haven't really heard it like that you've heard yeah. the expectations are you know we're gonna do nine and four whatever the case may be this team is actually talking out loud about winning the east at sec media days where every other team in the country is going to hear that i think that bodes well for them in the future in the long run. And that's why I think that, you know, now that they expect to do it, I think that there's a chance. Don't know if they will, but there's a chance.
2: What well, one thing that I am going to look for this year, and I'd be curious to see what you guys who are closer to this and seeing practice is, I noticed in the Orange Bowl, uh, I'm not. We'll forget about Vandy for a second, but in the Orange Bowl, Orange Bowl, and maybe it's because it was only his second start and how long. Uh, Joe didn't run the tempo quite as fast as Hendon did. Uh, I'm not sure the reason. I'm sure that's something that uh, Coach Heupel has addressed, but I think that's going to be a key as well to get that tempo where where Coach Heupel wants it, and Joe's going to have to just pick it up just a little bit. He certainly can do that, but at least in the Orange Bowl. He didn't run it quite as fast. Ran it effectively, but not quite as fast. I'm Could glad have been intentional. C-
0: Could have been. Yeah.
3: I'm glad you mentioned that CG, too. I, that was my biggest notice between, you know, with Milton being under center and Hooker, too. Is like, Hooker just played with a sense of urgency after every single yeah. down, regardless if he got four yards or if it was a 15- or 20-yard play as well. And I think you might see that with Milton a little bit more this year. But, I mean, it. I think it also all depends on what the quarterback's most comfortable with. And maybe for Milton, maybe the best thing for him is just to slow it down a little bit. Because this offense, every play, you're going to have guys open. You're going to have an opportunity to get a first down. So, like, we're not – you don't really need to have that type of offense where, like, you're just running full speed, nonstop, you know, 24-7. But um, I'm glad you know, I'm glad you pointed that out, though, because I think a lot of people kind of forget that, too. He, he slows it down just a little bit more than compared to what Hooker does. Um, but – yeah, guys, that was the uh, four takes for the hot take segment. Pretty incredible that we uh, managed to stretch that out for over 45 minutes. I love that. Um, one to mention one last thing. Um, I know we've done this show for over an hour now, and, Brando, i got to ask CG and Rob on both of this. The NCAA verdict, boys. We finally got our answer. I've been waiting to hear both of y'all's uh, thoughts on it. There's even been more leaks about Pruitt's text messages, the most recent one was uh, recruits were asking staffers for fake IDs so that they can get into bars during their their college visits. And Pruitt specifically telling the staffer that he didn't want any shitty players visiting at Neyland Stadium for the 2018 Missouri game. Uh, Final thoughts on what the punishment was for Tennessee and just kind of everything that's unraveled about Pruitt and the staff and what we finally know since it's all out in the public.
2: Well, uh, Rob, I'll jump in here and then uh, check out what you thought. Um, I I said all along and I said it on Fox Sports Knoxville a number of times that I, I didn't think that we were going to get a postseason ban. Uh, I think if there's one thing that the NCAA and I've interviewed Mark Emmert before and we've talked about this issue, I think the, the level of inconsistency, excuse me, the level of consistency in the NCAA is that they are inconsistent in how they mm-hmm. met out penalties. And I think a lot of Vols fans, a lot of Vols fans that we know on Vol Twitter and elsewhere were saying, the hell with the NCAA, let's just stick it to them, let's not do it. No, they still hold the cards. Irrespective of how inconsistent they are, they can do you in a bad way. I thought that Tennessee, from Donnie Plowman right on down to Danny White, uh, Josh Heupel, and everybody involved, by showing their cards, opening up their wardrobes, letting everybody into the house and saying, Come take a look at whatever you want. We're going to help you any way you can. That went a long way to helping Tennessee out on this. And I also think good for the NCAA. They got one big thing right, and that is that nobody on that campus, nobody in this program, nobody involved with anything to do with Tennessee football is there that had that mess, that parade of clowns uh, that this program was under Pruitt. And glad that they're all gone. Glad that this is behind us now. Uh, will the scholarship losses hurt? You know they've already been self-penalizing as it is. I think they're going to be just fine moving forward. And uh, it, this is this is a reminder for Tennessee, and it's a reminder for every school that we can say what we want about the NCA, and I have slammed them for years. But when it's time to you know to pay the man, you better be careful because the man can still put you down. So we've moved on. And, and I think the NCAA ultimately got this one right.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Dondi has a lot of weight at the NCAA level. She has a lot of weight. So I think once they made that decision to do what they were doing, I think they already had a clear-cut idea of what they needed to do to avoid a bowl ban. I think Dondi sat down and had a phone call with the NCAA and was like, look, here's what's going on. I'm going to tell you everything. What I want in return is no bowl ban. And I think the NCAA was like, yeah. All right. Bet. Tell us everything. Give us everything you got. We're going to bring our people in. We'll save from Bow Band. For two, if they were to try to give Tennessee a bowl ban, they were getting threatened to get sued by, yeah. you know, Tennessee yeah. lawyers. So I don't I don't think they wanted to play that there, because if you could if you're taking a shot at the NCAA, you definitely got weight. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. they definitely had something on the NCAA. NCAA knew that they couldn't pass that out. And as far as what Pruitt did and everything like that, I'm not even going to say anything bad about Pruitt or anything like that simply because every coach in America was doing it. Pruitt just got caught. Pruitt came from Florida State, he came from Georgia, and he came from Alabama. If you think he just picked it up at Tennessee, <laughs> you out of your damn mind. Out of three
3: dirtiest programs. Exactly.
0: bro. Exactly. So (laughs) So I'm (laughs) not going to say anything about Pruitt, man, because every coach is doing it. Pruitt is just sloppy and he got (laughs) caught. That's all. That's all that happened. Everyone does it.
2: I'll say, I'll say one thing to follow up on Rob's point. He's right about that completely. Um, My problem with Pruitt from day one is that I always felt, and I've said this for years on the air and on my show, that Tennessee desperately needed an offensive minded coach. And I think, in that regard, that's where Philip Fulmer, even though he brought some calm to everything by bringing Pruitt in, the problem is the focus was in the wrong area. Bringing Jer- uh, Josh Heupel in now, this offense has gone from the 1950s Big Ten to modern age, and that's where I think you got it right. So I, I just I didn't care for Pruitt's methodology in terms of style of play. That's what I didn't like. Yeah, that's fair. And, that's I mean. Fair.
3: And I think he is still a good football coach, right, from an nose perspective. He's a great coordinator. I mean, I think all of us can agree, yep. especially those yep. two seasons he had at Alabama. He was a fantastic defensive coordinator. But there's just some guys out there that are just not able to have that CEO role and be able to overlook an entire program. And we've seen that since he's had their fair share of that with Dooley and Butch and Pruitt, and, you know, and some guys just can't do it. And luckily for us, Heifel is one of those guys that can do it and obviously he's done an exceptional job in such a short amount of time. The one thing I thought was interesting is that, you know, that plea deal that Tennessee proposed to kind of end the investigation early was the exact same punishment, more or less, as what we wound up getting, which was like a small reduction in scholarships and no bull ban. So I'm curious as to why the NCAA decided if they eventually were going to give us that anyway, why they waited so long as opposed to just accepting that deal a couple months ago. But the one big takeaway for me, and fair play to Donnie Palmer and the university for doing this, is getting the state attorney general involved and threatening to sue the NCAA because if they had given us a bowl ban, this would open up everything about, you know, just the dysfunction that is, you know, the NCAA and just how ridiculous it is altogether. Um, So, I mean, and that was a huge card I felt like they played on us preventing from getting a bowl ban.
0: Last thing I'll say on this is – as much as as people don't want to hear it, amongst people, as much as people fight me back when I say it, um, <clears throat> I'm not saying Tennessee deserved what happened, what Jeremy Pruitt did. But it was in the making because way back when, in the two, early 2000s, Philip Former snitched on Alabama. You become the yeah. at the school <laughs> and you walk your happy ass to Alabama and you hire an Alabama grad, an Alabama player. Uh, Alabama, everything from Alabama. Mama and daddy grew up in Alabama, and you bring him to the University of Tennessee, and he destroys the program. And who was he hired by? Philip Forma, the one who snitched on Alabama. Exactly. That's, that's just karma from Phillip Forma. That's all it was. And now now his legacy is completely tarnished. And I'm glad you he said that. He, he kind of got what he asked for, and that he should have never snitched. Karma came back and bit him in the worst way, and all the fans in the university had to pay for it
2: karma is undefeated and you know i'll I'll just say this i think rob makes a great point It, it reminds me what happened with tennessee everything that rob said is absolutely correct one additional point reminds me of when we're out driving our cars and we've gone for 10 15 20 whatever years had no issues and then you have a near fender bender and it's a reminder of how fast something can happen definitely this whole ordeal is a reminder of if one person goes rogue it's going to bring down or could bring down a whole program it's just a reminder do it do things the right way and if it's going to take a little longer still do things the right way
0: yep and there you have it there you have it yeah
3: i mean i'm glad i'm glad rob mentioned about that comment about fulmer's legacy being tarnished on that because i think you know i think a lot of people that like similar age to cg which is they remember those glory days of the 90s of what did and, you know, how dominant Tennessee was as a program and a force to be reckoned with for over well over a decade. But for people like me, you know, I really only realistically remember his last, last four years from 05 to 08. So, like, I always kind of had mixed feelings about Fulmer, but this is just failure of a run as an athletic director, you know, sabotaging. His former hijacking. players even
0: said it. Even his yeah. former players that he has said his his legacy's ruined. So, and yeah. you, and know you
2: know what? True. I'll throw one more thing into that since you brought that up, Drew, and Rob knows this. Talk about kneeling, deafening kneeling. Kneeling noise is a little different, and it is. And you know, I, I've said I'm a stadium geek, and I've said for years: take four or five stadiums, Neyland, Tiger Stadium, down both Tiger Stadiums, Gainesville, Oregon, Washington. Those are four, five, six of the loudest in the country. It's each one is louder depending upon how good your team is, the time of the season it is, and who your opponent is. But here's my point: what we saw against Alabama last year, and even to a certain extent, Florida. In the 90s, every game was like that. That state, you could, I get chills thinking, my season tickets were in YY9 and you could feel the upper deck shaking. So when fans are talking about, oh, the decibels hit 124, you damn well better believe that it hit, they, they didn't keep it then, but they were hitting 120 and 130 then because I couldn't hear walking out of that stadium way too many nights. So... Those glory days, the crowds, everything its all coming back. But we've all, Rob, you know, it used yeah. to be that way on a regular basis,
0: all the time, all the time, all the time. One of my, short short story: one of my uh, old teammates I grew up with playing basketball. His uh, his dad graduated from university in Alabama, and every single year he bought tickets to the Tennessee-Alabama game. Mm-hmm. So from about I'd say about 2001 to 2006. I went to every single Tennessee Alabama football game, man. So it
2: was pretty dope. Yeah, that is dope.
0: And I was there. I was there, man. I was there. I was there, yeah. man.
2: I'll, t- I'll tell you this. You know, out here covering Fresno State – Great folks out here. They still talk about their trip to Knoxville, just talking about what that environment was like, what just how amazing it was. And you know what's really cool? To a man and woman, everybody says, those folks there were so nice to us. They were so friendly. And I said, well, that's because you didn't have Florida on your shirt. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's big facts.
3: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that game, mentioned Fresno State CG, because that was the first game at Newland. I was about five years old when that Look happened. Look at that. 03. Wow, man. The only wow. the one thing I remember from that game is that it was hot as hell that day. I mean, I think they played. It was a noon kickoff in yeah. August, late August. Oh, my God. That was the most miserable game I think I've ever attended as far well, as, like, Get ready for go, it. But
0: September 2nd, Nashville, 11 o'clock in the middle of the yeah. day. That's it. I'm That's not looking talking. forward is, to it, man. All right. I just counted, oh. we, we
1: have a little over of seven hundred and thirty hours.
0: We're almost here, dude. It's been fun, man.
2: I thought it's you were I, I thought you were saying that's how long we were on tonight. It's like okay. Uh, like well, yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, we've been talking for a stroke, yeah, bro. We've been yeah. talking for a show, but it's no, been a good yeah. show. It's yeah, it has. Great been,
2: it's great to see all
1: you guys, man. Likewise. Excited for Tennessee likewise, football. Man. Excited to see my boy Rob. Excited to just, you know, be talking about year three. Uh, everything we covered tonight, um, Drew, Rob, CG. Any final comments
0: before we bang this one out? Peace right. and love, man. We'll see y'all next week. That's all I got to say. Peace and
2: love. See Less tonight. than a month away, football's finally here, boys. It's, just, it's a, just make it's the best make time sure. May, sorry for the interruption. Make sure you send an invite before that Virginia game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, for sure. It's a <laughs> and best al- Be- Best to low and Alex. Pleasure is, is all ours. Great to see you guys. CG
1: as yeah, always taking time out to join us. Y'all can go follow CG at CG program on all social medias or listen in at KMJ Fresno. Uh, boys, hopefully we're back here next Wednesday, full effect. Uh, uh, a lot of breaking news going down, not sure of what the conference alignment will look like next week is a lot of ACC movement. the Board of trustees in the state of Arizona announced a, an emergency meeting tomorrow. Arizona to the big 12. Uh, crazy crazy times, but
0: Cameron, damn big we've B- we,
2: we've covered that big on my show and the, the craziest thing about Arizona <laughs> a lot of people don't know is the Arizona Board of Regents oversees both schools. Uh, oh, and nice. the, and both school presidents are best of friends. And even though Arizona has come out and said, we'll do this on our own. And obviously, they're a big basketball edition for the Big 12, assuming they go. Uh, the the two schools don't really want to do this by themselves. I really do believe Arizona pulls the plug, uh, pulls the, the, the trigger. I think you're going to see Arizona State do the same thing. Dope. Dope.
1: Crazy, crazy. Oh, also, before we do go, Tennessee obviously <laughs> did get the the good news that Bennett Warren, we did get a commitment from 6'8". Yeah. To get the offensive lineman top mm. five, offensive mm. top of there. Tennessee has a lot of recruiting uh, battles coming in, closing here in the next week or two. Uh, four-star wide receiver Amari Jefferson. Does he still lean Bama or does he
0: – He's going to Bama. Don't Bama. even – just tell the people he's going uh, to Bama. We all know it. He's going out Chris
1: Cole, four-star linebacker, Tennessee battling over there. Uh, we can. I think mean, that one's really heavily contested. Does Tennessee get another commitment the next week? We might find out. But, boys, pleasure being on here for as long as we were. Uh, see y'all next weekend. Until then, good night. And Peace good and boys. love, right up, boys. Boosh. Good night from California.